I want you, if you would, please just to stand with me uh, for the reading of the word today. We want to honor God's word. And I do believe that I have something that uh, is, uh, is very timely. I think it's what God wants to, what he's doing in these days, what he's doing with us. And we want to look to the word of the Lord today. Luke, the 14th chapter, uh, verses five through, or 15 through 17, and then we'll go on and progress as we go along. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Say that with me. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come on, all things are ready now. Yes. Father, I pray that you'll bring this word to light within us, speak to us today, help us to, to see where things are at in the eternal plan, help us to see things are where they're at within our own lives. May we examine and evaluate where we stand. Father, do a work within us, speak to our hearts, change our lives, in Jesus' name, and everyone say, amen. amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. There were a number of titles I wanted to give this today, uh, but anyway, I, I chose what I felt like, uh, I want to call this the guest list, the guest list. I don't know about that you, but that kind of looks appealing, doesn't it? Looks pretty good. I had asked uh, Judy if she was able to su submit some photos to me from some of the elaborate events that she's done. She's done so many, uh, many of them beyond on this side of the river, but way over, you know, over in St. Louis for uh, high, uh, yes, just some, uh, you know, she's just done things for a lot of individuals and organizations and she used to put on displays for the Rams for their training camp when they were here and some sort of a celebration. I can't remember what it was for Ozzie Smith. And so she's very well known uh, in that circle. And, and we're blessed to have her. She sent some pictures, but they wouldn't fit on what we, we couldn't get it to work. So I had to choose a lesser model of something. And, and Stephanie found this online. And, and this is good. Judy's is better. I just want to say that. Okay. The guest list. The guest list. We see in the scriptures here, it's told in a parable form, but you know what a parable is? It's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's basically what it boils down to. When Jesus taught that many, uh, many times, he used parables. He told something that people could relate with, something that they readily understood, and he compared that to the kingdom of God. How many of you know that as, it, as in heaven's, uh, let the kingdom, um, <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we see that the, uh, the things that are in heaven are models, or they're modeled here on earth of the things that were in heaven. When God took Moses up onto the mountain, he showed him the tabernacle up there, and he says, now I want you to go down to the earth, and I want you to construct everything that I've given you according to the details. So that's how the tabernacle was made. It was on earth as it was in heaven. So when Jesus tells a parable, he tells you what's going on here on earth and he gives you the understanding or us the understanding with how it is in the kingdom of God. 
And so we look here at this, this uh, uh, scripture here today, and it tells us pretty simple there that uh, there was a man who was going to give a great supper. It doesn't say necessarily for the reason for him doing that. Uh, some believe that probably he was doing this because he wanted to give this uh, supper. It was a marriage supper for his son or whatever it would be. But nonetheless, a man was making a great supper. So how many of you know when it says great in the Bible, that's a, that's a powerful word, right? So it's not like he says, hey, you want to go with me to meet at Ven Ho? Not that that's bad. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Ven Ho. I can do some. Okay, combination B, that's all I'm saying. But anyway, it was not just like meeting for a luncheon thing or let's go down to Popeye's or, or whatever it was. But actually, this man had prepared some things, and he called, it was called a great supper. And it was not only great because of the tables and the arrangements and so forth, uh, but it was also a great supper because it was going to be a large gathering. The Bible tells us that there were many invited guests. And I, can, I, I imagine that this man probably didn't want to do something, uh, you know, to put out white castles or whatever. He had invited these guests and planned everything in advance. And he was an owner. And I'm sure he was having dairy bar after dessert. Right, Garner? Absolutely. Uh, anyway, uh, he invited all these guests. And he had a servant that went out to do that. Now, you have to understand they didn't have the postal system. They couldn't uh, prepare a, a, a card to go out in the mail, to go out to the place, a sort of save-the-date type of thing. But he actually had a servant who had gone and personally probably invited every person that was there. Now, I can only imagine that some of these people, I don't know about you, but uh, you know there, there are people who like to let it be known that they got invited to something and wonder where your invitation, oh, your invitation must be lost in the mail, you know. You know how that is. But for whatever reason, there were people there that were invited, and I'm sure that they felt very, very honored because of the person that was inviting them. Number two, uh, knowing that the type of people that were being invited, it was an exclusive group of people, and probably knowing his reputation as being able to put it on, they probably wanted to go and to be a part of that. And so the servant would go out, and he would tell everybody, hey, I'm just going through the town today. I want you to know that mark this down on your calendar, write it down. He gives them the date, and he says, now here's the thing. He said, uh, uh, my master, my, my, uh, my Lord, is, is making uh, a prepared meal, and you've been invited to be there, and we want you to be there. And I can imagine he probably felt very honored, so I thank you. Yes, by all means, I'll plan to attend there. And uh, anyway, the time goes by, and we don't know how much of a time it was, but there was a lot of preparation that went into this. And we see in the scriptures it says there that, that the time was ready. So there was an advanced time for giving them the invitation along with all the preparations that he had to make to, na uh, to make it ready. So you, you understand that, that uh, things were different then. They probably couldn't schedule everything uh, as far as what day was going to take place. Uh, but anyway, when that time came available, I'm sure that the servant had gone out there. He says, now I'll let you know when it's time. You just get ready. Be prepared. Don't plan anything, but be prepared because I'll come back and I'll let you know when the party's on. And so the, 
the time it arrived, I'm sure that he had all the guests that had been sent out. He had all the preparations. He had all the, the settings and all the table settings and all the, the preparations for how many guests that he had had. And then the time was ready now that the, that the, uh, uh, the, the meal was going to be prepared, all the, all the harvest that had, been take, had taken place, been gathered. It was going to be fresh produce, all organic. They were going to have uh, uh, pork steaks. I doubt it. But anyway, <laughs> right? thought I'd say that. Anyway, they probably had a fatted calf that was being ready, and the calf was going to be prepared. And he says, so you go out and let them know today is the day. Come on. Come on over. We're ready for you. We're waiting on you. Be our guest, right? One of those types of things. And so the Bible says that he had sent the servant out uh, to tell them, because tell them now. It's ready, come on, let's dig in, get the, let's get together. And the Bible tells us then that as it went on, they all, with one accord, they all with one accord. Now, to me, that sounds like they deliberately made a decision. It wasn't random choices, but perhaps after the invitation was made, maybe some of them got together, and they began to make excuses, he said, well, we're not going to do it. But they all joined together. They were in agreement that they were going to have an excuse as to why they would not be there, but they wanted to be excused from this, this uh, particular gathering. They made excuses. Have you ever made an excuse before? Yeah. Right? Have you ever tried to think of an excuse? Yeah. <laughs> oh, give me a, give me a you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's awkward moments. And so they all began with one accord to make excuses. Now, to ex an excuse, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to be free from blame. Okay? So imagine this. The servant goes out. He says, hey, today's the day. Come on over. You know, get ready. Make your plans. Make your trip. And the person says, I, 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 don't want, I want to be free from any blame. Or to excuse, it means to forgive or please overlook. Or to release someone from an obligation or duty. So I look at this when I think about the excuse that they made. They had obligated themselves. They had committed themselves for this. And so it was their obligation to fulfill that commitment. But when the time came about for them to fulfill the commitment, then they wanted to be excused. They wanted to be released and free from this or to be exempted from having to go through with what they originally committed to do. Are you with me? Yeah. So I, I was looking at some excuses, and, and I've, I've had some. Have you ever had a child that's uh, had excuses, made excuses before? Yeah. I'm sure that teachers, uh, Mike, you probably hear a, a number of excuses coming from kids, and some of them they heard from their parents that they... Uh, their parents use. But anyway, I want to give you a couple of some excuses, some examples of uh, these are people who had had an accident and these are excuses, excuses uh, that were given to uh, insurance companies and to police. So anyway, an accident occurs. One person says, I was leaving for work, oh, I'm sorry, leaving home from work, drove out of my driveway and straight into a bus that was five minutes early. It was not my fault. The bus was early. Right? I was driving my car out of the driveway in the usual manner 
when it was struck by the, art, uh, the other car in the same place it had been struck several times before. Please, excuse me. Another one said, uh, I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble when my, <laughs> when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. How many of you know placement of words is very important there? The gentleman behind me struck me on my backside, and then he went to rest in a bush with his rear end showing. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and struck a tree I haven't got. I've been driving for nearly 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. <laughs> Not enough coffee there. I don't know who was to blame for the accident. I wasn't looking. I pulled, away from the, uh, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed straight over the embankment. A truck backed through my windshield onto my wife's face. <laughs> Here's pedestrians. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to run, so I ran over him. I'm sorry, officer, for speeding. Without my glasses, I can hardly see the speedometer. Sorry, officer. I know I was speeding, but I was trying to get to the gas station before I ran out of gas. I know I was going so fast, I was trying to get the snow off my windshield so I could see where I was going. Sorry, officer, for throwing the beer cans out the window, but I didn't want my wife to see how many I had drank. excuses so the indirect cause of the accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth another one says an invisible car came out of nowhere and struck my car and vanished the other car these are getting boring aren't they <laughs> the other car collided with mine without giving any warning of its intentions I consider neither vehicle to be blame uh, but if either was to blame, it was the other one. That's all I can say. I heard of one the other day where a, a doctor was driving and he was going a little bit fast and the policeman pulled up beside of him and motioned him over there and quickly he thought he could try and do something and he reached over, grab, grabbed his stethoscope and dangled it. And so the officer thinking, oh, he must be on an emergency and he motioned him to go on. He said, yeah, thank you, drove on. About another week, the officer was in the same, I mean, the, the driver was in the same spot. The officer saw him then. He pulled up next to him, and the doctor reached over and got his stethoscope and waved it at him, and the policeman got his handcuffs and waved at him. He said, pull over. <laughs> so I was, okay, some thoughts as to why people avoid church services. All right. Now, if we... If we had used the same excuse for avoiding church as we would for having missed a meal, like for eating, okay? It would sound something like this. Uh, I don't want to eat. I was forced to eat as a child. People who eat all the time are hypocrites. They aren't really hungry. 
Are you getting the meaning, the pleasure? Okay. Substituting church with eating. Uh, There's so many different kinds of food, I can't decide what to eat. I used to eat, but I got bored and stopped. I only eat on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Well, none of my friends will come and eat with me. I'll start eating when I get older. Well, I don't really have time to eat. It's like I said before, you don't have to be hungry to eat, that's for sure. I don't believe that, that eating does anybody any good. It's just a crutch. And the number one excuse for not eating would be something like this. Roast, uh, restaurants and grocery stores are only after your money. That's the way it is. So people can find all kinds of reasons why they don't want to go to church. They find all types of excuses to make up so that they're not blamed, so that they can be off the hook uh, or forgiven, pardoned, or whatever. And we see that these people began to to make excuses. Now, the context of what this scripture comes, and I want you to, you know, it's, a, it's important that we take something as to where it fits in the setting. And so that's what you want to do is look at before and look at after and find out where something is taken as opposed to taking it out of context. So we see here in the 14th chapter that this all begins, this, this parable is ignited through an, uh, an experience that Jesus has. In the first chapter, it says that, it happened that as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. Are you listening? So there's a, there's a very high-class individual. He's a, not just a Pharisee who thinks he's all that, but he's the ruler of them, and this is his house. And he's probably uh, invited some guests there. Perhaps he wants to show off what he has. I don't know what it was. Or perhaps he wanted Jesus to come to this to show the type of influence that he had, um, that, that the, the Pharisee had among all of his peers. And that's why he invited Jesus. But for whatever reason, Jesus goes there. But he's on the way there, and there appears a man who has this condition. He has dropsy. And Jesus stops and looks at him, and, and he heals him. And of course, everybody's eyes bug out because this is the Sabbath. And they're like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Who do you think you are? And he looks at the Pharisees. Come on, guys. If, if, you, were, if you had a donkey or an ox that had fallen into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not take a moment to try and get the, on, the, the, onky, the oxen or the donkey out of there? And so that's what he began to tell them. And he used this as a parable then at that point. He, he says that uh, uh, he turns around, he gives a parable to all the guests who were there and who had been invited because he saw everybody jockeying for position. You know, when they got there, certain people want to sit by so-and-so and this person to that. I want to be at your table. I want to be at your And they're finding all the places and then somebody says, well, I want to be up near the front. I want to go up there. And they, he says, look, guys, let me tell you, you guests who are here today, when you go to a banquet, when you're invited as a guest, don't go up to the front and sit at the head table because probably if you weren't assigned to be at the head table, somebody's going to come up to you and tap you on the shoulder who's probably bigger than you and says, hey, get up. Or somebody's going to come along there and says, uh, would you mind getting out of my seat? I, uh, I was thinking about this. It just hit me. Years ago, Teresa and I used to go to different places and churches and minister and so forth and uh, anyway when we would get there uh, you know perhaps some people didn't know uh, you know who uh, who we were or anything like that didn't make any difference if they did of course we didn't know the common theme uh, 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 
the common seats where people have. Now, some of them you do probably know, right? Okay, you, it's, it's obvious. Brother Wyckoff, I'm sure that you've seen this before in your days. When you go into a church and they have pews there and people have their crocheted pillows there. You know, what I mean? that's probably not the one you want to scoot over and get sit down. And, uh, you know, they've got their own personal thing there. And that, that's my space. Don't worry. Oh, you can't sit there. And so anyway, we were sitting there. And we had someone come up and tapped, and I was here at this point, Teresa was on the other side, someone came up to us and tapped us on the shoulder, and she says, you're in my seat. I'm sorry, I didn't know, there was no pillow there, didn't see the, <laughs> I didn't see the, there was no Afghan to claim it, so anyway, we sat, we were sitting there, and well, excuse us, so we scooted to another place only to find someone else coming up at that time before service started and said, you're in my seat. And we had figured out, is there any place in here that is open? Okay. <laughs> so there are people that are like that. He said, so, so when you go there, don't go get in somebody's seat that is not yours. In fact, when you go to a banquet, why don't you just hang around in the back, sit back there, and if you are expected to be somewhere else, they will come and invite you to sit up there. I had the uh, privilege yesterday, my, my friend, Dr. Precious Uwuzie, who pastors at Newgate Church in Belleville. You know, he's ministered here before. Good family, good, good, good people. Very special people to us. And so he was having a gathering of pastors from the Belleville area, St. Clair County, Shiloh, Fairview, and so forth. And uh, anyway, he was wanting to get them together because here's the thing. We pastor in towns, and not too many towns are like us, that we try and get to know one another. I, I, I th you know, I think it's important to build relationships, and I've been doing it for tw 25, 30 years of building relationships with the other ministers. We labor together. Amen. Let's know one another. Let's, let's know everything, you know, about us. And he says he'd been in that town for a long period of time, and, uh, and, and other pastors that were there had been there, but they didn't know one another. So he sent out an invitation a number of weeks ago, uh, personal invitations, a card, Facebook and so forth, asking guests who would come there. I didn't know what my role was when I got there. And so anyway, we we're talking out there and he says, please come, I have a special seat for you. And I thought, special, I don't know what it is. But anyway, of course, it was at a table with him and his wife and another prophet that was there. And he wanted me to share the experiences that we had had. But it would have been, uh, in fact, I think he had to move somebody for me to sit there now that I think about it. Uh, but anyway, I had the honor of sitting there. I was very honored uh, because that's what he had set up. That's what his intentions were. So he's saying, guests, look, let me give you a clue here. When you go out to a dinner, he's trying to teach them dinner ethics, etiquette. He says, when you go there, sit where you're assigned or sit somewhere else until you get the, the go-ahead to sit somewhere else yeah. and get your el elbows off the table, all right? Just, <laughs> all right? So he's telling them what to do. And then after that, he turns and talks to the host. And this is what he says to the host when he gets there. Uh, that he says, look, when you prepare a, a meal, don't invite all the people who are just like you. When you, invite, when you have a meal, don't just pick people who, who your family, your friends, your little group, your only people there, don't just invite them because, you know, you know that they're going to, they'll, they'll return the favor. Yeah. 
He says, but when you do something, open it up to people who couldn't possibly, who could not possibly return the favor. They would be unable. He said, that's the way you conduct uh, a dinner. He tells the host. I mean, he's reprimanding everybody, giving everybody little tips. And so he sits at a table where he's supposed to be, and there's one person who's sitting there uh, and looks at him, and he said, he, he got it. He said, blessed is he who gets to eat bread at the table in the kingdom of God. How powerful that was. He caught on to those things there, saying that's what it's like. You've been, you've been invited to a great feast that God has prepared for all of us. Just be happy that he gives you bread in the kingdom of God. Amen. How many of you know that's a, that's a good thing? Amen. Amen. And I pattern my life after that. I eat bread on earth as it is in heaven. So anyway... And so he told him that, and then he said to him, he gives this parable which he gave to us. He said that a certain man had a great supper and invited many guests. And he sent his servant to the supper to say to those who were invited, come on, all things are ready, but those whom the servant had invited previously, who had made a commitment, now began to make up excuses as to why they would not be there. Now, this is a parable that we can understand the kingdom of God, but it is beyond that parable because it's real life the way things should be. But if we could put it in this regard, this is what Jesus is saying. We have the Father who is the host, right? The Father is going to prepare a meal, a marriage feast for his son, all right? So we have the Father, we have the Son, and then he sends out his Holy Spirit to areas to speak to people. And he says, hey, one of these days, <laughs> there's going to be a marriage feast. The marriage feast of the Lamb. And you're invited to be a part of it. Yes. And the Holy Spirit goes around talking to people. And some find it, they think upon that, and the Holy Spirit says, oh, what an honor it is. How good is your goodness that you've invited me to this? And they accept that invitation. And then, of course, the guest that he's referring to in this particular thing would be none other than Israel to begin with. They were the chosen ones. So Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to, to them, they, he gave them the power to become the sons of of God. So God sends out his, his invitation through the Holy Spirit, telling about gathering with his son in the kingdom of God, and he sends this out to Israel, but the people, just like the ones who were in the house, just like the one who was throwing the party, just like all the in, uh, invited guests who were of that group, they were Israel. That's who they represented. But they all began to make excuse. Now, I bless Israel because they are still nonetheless God's chosen people and he's still pleading with them and there there will be a move of God that's going to take place among them and many are turning right now in fact I love I love my messianic Jewish friends I tell you what they're just a blessing because they've come to the full knowledge of what it's all about and uh, anyway so he sends this out to Israel and in Israel the church the religious people are not following through they're not accepting this invitation and so the one, he gives an example of the excuse that is being made. He gives like three examples. And he says, the first one said to him, tells the servant, 
I bought a piece of ground, and I have to go see it. So please have me excused. Let me be exempt from this meal. Because, you see, I've, 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 made, uh, I've bought a piece of ground. And I tried to look at this, and I want you to know that what, what he says is actually, excuse number one is the blessings of God. Remember when in Deuteronomy, when Jesus told them after they were out in the wilderness, and he says, I'm going to take you into the promised land, but make sure when you get there that it's me that gives you the power to get wealth. It is me who's opened up this door. When you go into there, there and you find that you have homes that you didn't build, you have furniture that you didn't buy, you have gardens growing that you didn't plant, just remember it is me who has provided all these blessings for you. Make sure that you don't forget it. Now, I just want to look at our lives. So many times, we let the blessings of God crowd us out as to what God wants to do in our lives. Right? We can allow the blessings. Now, obviously, he was a blessed man. God told him, he says, I'm going to give you land. He was only doing what God instructed them to do to begin with. Remember when God created man, he gave him a mandate and, and, and told him to, to go forth into all the earth, right? And be fruitful and multiply. He told the children of Israel, I'm going to give you this land. Land was a type of blessing that was given. Land was a symbol of prosperity. Land uh, who was given unto them, looked like he was being blessed, and he, was, he must be doing the will of God because he's so successful. He's buying property that he doesn't e hasn't even seen. How many of you, <laughs> Becky, I'm sure you like to find some clients like that, buy a house they hadn't even looked at, right? You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. But this guy had so much money, I bought property based on somebody else's words. That's the kind of blessings that I have. And so I'm going to, I have to go see it now. And of course, one thinks, why today? Why today? You didn't just now buy it. Sometime between the invitation and the time for the gathering, you bought the property, and now today, it must be seen today as opposed to tomorrow or another day. Yeah. Obviously, that he was so blessed, but he, he didn't want, he didn't want uh, to be a part of what was being uh, what was taking place we look at the next one so he makes the excuse and I, I want to say this is the business another one said I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them so please please by all means have me excused from having to be there today from my obligation that I made my commitment uh, please just pardon me over that the business isn't it funny how so many people allow the blessings of God and he blesses them with business, but that sometimes becomes the very thing that crowds them out. Yeah. Right? Think about it. But he's doing the good things. It's a good thing, but not the God thing. Are you with me? Good, yeah. So here's a guy who has enough money that he bought five yoke of oxen. So he's got ten oxes there, uh, at least. And he, he can't, he can't run, uh, ride them all or, or plow with them all by himself. He's obviously got four more employees at least. And so his business is growing. He's doing the things of God. He's, he's a, a strong, hard worker. He's just like Elisha in the Bible. Remember in the Old Testament when Elijah comes up to Elisha and, and uh, 
Anyway, he sets his mantle upon Elisha, and the Bible says that Elisha took everything and he burned the yoke. Uh, he burned the yoke and slayed the oxen. He says, "I'm done with this. I'm following after God." So he was a very successful upcoming businessman. We know that he was a blessing, but his business was getting in the way of what God wanted for him. How many of you know that can happen? Right? Not too convincing. But today I have to prove them. Today I have to go see what they're like. So if he was a farmer today, well, I bought five John Deere's and I got to go out and drive them today, make sure that they all run operating good so, so I can make sure my employees, I'm a hard worker, I don't expect them to do anything that I wouldn't do, so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to plow it up there and, and today's the day. I can't, I, I can't wait till tomorrow. Even though we're not going to work today, we must test them today, right? So it was amazing because they were already mad at, mad at Jesus. Listen to this. They were mad at Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath, right? Now, I'm not going to work on the Sabbath, but I will go test my oxen on the Sabbath. They could find an excuse to do that because that's what they wanted to do. People generally do exactly what they want to do. So it wasn't considered urgent enough. This dinner wasn't urgent enough. This was of urgency. And then the third one he gives us here says, please, uh, have me excused. I married a wife, and therefore I can't come. A bride. The bride. Now, I just use this. I mean, he gave the example there, and I'm not going to pick on, but, but let's just say family, right? Because the blessing was to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to give you a bride. You're going to have children. So it represents the family unit. But however you treat the bride is the way that you're going to raise up your children and your family. Are you with me? So in the Jewish culture, uh, the, the honeymoon didn't last two days uh, in Branson. All right, it, it wasn't like that. It was actually a year, a time of getting together, growing together, a time of, uh, of really, it was very important because how, how you lived out the first year was going to be very important as to what you did the rest of the year, I mean the rest of your lives together. So they had to build a relationship, they had to build things because they were making preparations for, for multiples, for seed down the road. And so that year was going to be important. And he knew that because of that, surely I'll be excused because, I, you see, I've taken a wife. And I have to do what's common to, our, to what we've been instructed. We have to take this first year and do nothing but just get to know and love and cleave, leave, cleave, and weave together. That's what it was all about. Or perhaps he said, you know, I got the invitation and I wasn't married then. Like he didn't know he was going to get married. But anyway, he got the invitation. He said he would go there. But for this reason, he says, oh, you know what happened since then? I got married. I got married. I'm sure that they would have given a plus one. Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't think that's funny. <laughs> I've had a few occasions like that where it was no plus one. So anyway. <laughs> Or would she have been an embarrassment to him? I don't know. For whatever reason, he says, I've got this, I've got this wife. 
So therefore, I cannot come. Surely he'll, he'll understand that, be very understanding. I'm going to go ahead and close with this. All right, so what does he do? The servant comes and tells the, uh, reported the things to his master. Then the master of the house, being very angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The poor, the maimed, lame, the maimed, and the blind. He says, I want you to go out. We'll get the B list in here. The A list doesn't want to show up, but I tell you what, I have, I, I made this meal. I prepared for them. I've got everything in order. I gave them a place, gave them an opportunity, but go out. We're going to fill this place right now. Yeah. I actually read a story that had taken place. I forgot to, to pull it up. I was going to read it to you, but there was a, a, a girl who had, had, uh, uh, was, had a wedding plan. Obviously, her parents had set up everything. They had made the arrangements. Wedding day, the groom checks out, leaves her. All right? So she says, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? She says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and have a party. We're going to go ahead and have a party. And so there were people that had known that they weren't getting together. They didn't come. And so what did she do? She actually invited 118 homeless people. And she went out. She had people go out and go through the streets and gather people, bring them on the shuttle, get them in here. And there is no wedding, but there's going to be a feast. And she opened it up to them because they'd already been paid. They probably couldn't get their money back. What's the point? I can't eat all of this. Let's, let's give it to somebody who can. And so that's what Jesus did. When the A-list didn't show up, when the chosen ones didn't make it, when Israel rejected him, he said, you know what? We're going to make this available to anybody uh, who accepts me. Anyone who accepts me is open, and I'll give them the power to become the sons of God. He opened it up. And that's the Gentiles. That's you and I. Yeah. You and I have been invited to this meal that he's prepared in the kingdom of God. You and I have been given the chance not only to eat bread in the kingdom of God, but that and much, much more. Are you with me? And so then he comes and gives him the report. He says, look, master, I did that. I did what you said, but we still got room. We set up for how many hundreds of people, but man, there's still like, we, 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 we probably got about three or 400 places that's empty here. And so the guy, the master says, then the master said to the servant, I want you to go out, not just in the city, not those around about me, not those that, uh, that, that, that I know and see every day, but I want you to go out to the highway and the byways and the hedges. And I want you to get them, those people who may not even know me. They're just passing by. They're going from one place to another and say, hey, you, are you guys hungry? Why don't you come over here? Here's a good, rest, here's a good restru- rest stop for you. Come on, eat with us, all right? And they open it up to any traveler that was out there or anyone who could, could be considered to be unworthy, unwelcome, and unwanted. Yes. Get those people. I don't care if they can pay me back. It doesn't make any difference. That's not what this is about. This is about me pouring out and lavishing upon people who will take time to say, I'll, I'll come and sit with you. Oh, come on. Mm. Come on. And he uses the word compel. And that word compel means 
These people are going to feel unwanted and unwelcomed, unworthy to be there. You're going to have to go more than just to say, hey, would you come and eat? Because they'll find, you have to understand, I, 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 I don't have the right type of clothing. I, I, I come from a different background. I, surely you don't mean me. Certainly that's not me. And he says, no, whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. You don't have to have money. You didn't have to have the original invitation. This is a moment right now where I'm telling you to come and urge them because otherwise they would not do it. And I'm so grateful for the way things work. Because, you see, I believe it's kind of like this, that we see that, that God has prepared a place for us in, in eternity. This is a kingdom of heaven. But as in, as in heaven, so is it on earth. But anyway, God the Father... The Bible says that he gave his son as a ransom before the foundations of the world. Are you with me? So the father is preparing a bride for his son. And the Holy Spirit goes out and makes the invitation to whoever. Whoever will receive the son gets to come and be a part of this. And those who rejected him, I'm sorry, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that one day... Jesus came into my life, the Holy Spirit, at the age of nine. Now, I, I may have given my heart to the Lord, but I had, had a tough, tough time with keeping the sacrifice on the altar. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's that process of sanctification. You know what I mean? Because I still yeah. want to be a stubborn little kid, you know. But later, he got a hold of my heart. Back during the time, probably uh, during the Jesus re- Revolution. Yeah. During that time. The Lord really got a hold of my life and set me apart. I'd been told that I was going to be a preacher when I was a kid, and I I hated to be around people who would tell me that. I did not want to be a preacher. I want to be a ball player. Well, God knew that wasn't going to happen. But anyway. (laughs) But at that time, I just felt compelled. When when I applied for uh, ministerial credentials 40 years ago, I sat down before the presbytery, the commissioning group there, and uh, I was known by most of them. I'd sung and played at their church, and some of them they sang my songs that I'd written and so forth, but I was applying for credentials. And one of them asked me just a random question. It wasn't a loaded question. He says, what if you get denied of these credentials? What will you do then? And I said, brother so-and-so, I don't want to say his name. I said, you know what? I guess I'll just keep doing what I've been doing. And he goes, good answer. Because I didn't have to have a piece of paper. I didn't have to have the ordination. I could just do what I've been doing. Just talking about Jesus no matter where. That's what was important. I don't think that what's taken place throughout the periods of time is that God always seemed to choose the most unlikely During a time of uh, Azusa Street that happened in 1906 in, in uh, L.A., had the opportunity to go out there about nine years ago when we were in L.A. And I wanted to, before I left there, I mean, all the places that were great to see, walk down the, the, the streets there and, you know, Beverly Hills and see all the touring things. But before I left there, I said, I've got to go to the place of Azusa Street. I have to go there. When I went there, there was nothing like I expected. There wasn't a house. There wasn't a, 
a, a, a model of what it looked like of the stable that the revival took place. All there was was a sign that said this was the beginning of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. Just a sign. And there was a, cu a cultural center that was in behind it. But as I sat there across the road to the corner was the LA Times building. There were uh, there, there were segments of the place there. This is the Chinese district. There's this, this. And I, I saw all the world represented around those places. And I looked and I said, this was the place, man. God knew where to do this. And he took a little old building that had been nothing more than a barn or a stable where they bring the, their, uh, uh, their horses and so forth and leave them there in the city. And that, you know what? Jesus was born in a stable. That's right. That's right. Amen. And he allowed the birth of the, Holy, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit among the church in that type of place. And there was, a, there was a black man there by the name of Will Seymour who didn't feel worthy to be able to just stand behind a pulpit. They said that he had a little box, a little fruit or vegetable box. And oftentimes he would put his head underneath there and just declare the glory of God. And there was a man that God called to go over there uh, who began to, to use this. And it wasn't long till what was taking place in that little building went over to the newspaper and it started going wild. It started going all over the country and all over the world. People were coming and traveling in 1906 because of the Azusa Street Revival. They were disgraced by a lot of people. They made fun of them. They did a lot of things. They were not welcomed as they are today in our big, nice, fancy churches but that's what they had. That's how God started it. And then I, I think about how God does that. But then I think about how many of you saw the Jesus revol uh, revolution? Many of you, okay. I don't want to be a, I don't want to give, I'm just giving you a spoiler alert, okay. <laughs> I, I think about Chuck's, Marlis, could you tell that story that you told me, please? Could you? Marlis, <laughs> please, <laughs> or Phil, either one. Oh, somebody get her a microphone. We gotta get her. Thank you, Garner. This is this is good. I could you can't make this stuff up. Okay, so is this on? Yes. Thank you. Um, Daughter, Phil's daughter Angela and Ryan got married 25 some odd years ago, 96, thank you. And they, he got an offer to go to Florida for an invitation to apply for a job. So they packed up, this is before they had children, and went to Florida and they decided to go to the Calvary Church in Florida. And lo and behold, they were both saved and baptized within the Calvary Church. They were so excited, and the, he went and applied for the job, and he got the job. Um, but like, say, maybe a year later, that wasn't really where they were supposed to be. So they moved back. And so all these years, we've talked to them about They've spoken to us about the Calvary Church and how what it meant to them being saved and baptized there. 
So when the movie came out, and we all went to see it last Sunday, I'm going, oh my gosh, and Phil's going, oh my gosh, that's the church they were saved and baptized in. So we decided, let's ask them to go, and we did. They had no idea what was coming. They had no idea that it was the Calvary Church that the movie was about. So we're sitting there, the two of them and their son and his girlfriend. Angela's sitting next to me, and the movie's going on. All of a sudden, she said, I feel like I'm in Florida. And I'm thinking, it was a setup. <laughs> Lo and behold, a few more minutes go by, and I glance over, and here's tears coming down. She said, that's where we were saved and baptized. I said, we know that. That's why you're here. And the whole rest of the evening, in conversation with them before they left, you could see the renewing of what transpired in their lives. That you could just see afterwards when we talked to them before they went home. And it's like they were both just, oh, it just brings it all back to you once you go back to that moment. The moment that you realize, I'm not saved. No, I'm saved, and I've just accepted Jesus. And what a renewing it is in you. And that happened to them that evening. The next day or two days later, she was going to go to travel to Nashville to visit her son. And she said, I'm calling him. He's got to find that movie somewhere. I've got to take Kyle and his girlfriend to see the movie. I don't know if they found it or not, but that was their intent. And I said to Pastor, if we all go back to that moment. Yes. I mean, and it's been a long time for us, but all the next day and all that night, like when he came home the next day, we're both talking about that moment in our lives because we were both lost totally when we were invited to a church. And then the renewing of, you know, the renewing of our minds came to us. I was raised Presbyterian and him Catholic, and I went to church my whole life, and I know all the stories, all the stories. I just didn't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it was renewing for us also that that moment that we were able to share with them, you know, it renewed in us also. It was just amazing. And afterwards she said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And we're just grinning from ear to ear because we knew that was going to happen, you know, that it would all come back to them. We just, thank you, Jesus. It Amen. Was, yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If anybody hasn't seen Greg Laurie's a history they made he did a youtube a movie about the yes. lost boy it is amazing if you can find it we found it on youtube yeah it was really really good amen thank, thank you marlis give her a hand okay <laughs> praise the lord you know so when marlis was telling me that story the other day it became bigger than uh to me because i was thinking of that moment in the movie and if you haven't seen it i, I don't want to spoil it but when chuck is sitting down with Lonnie, and he said, tell me about your people. And Lonnie begins to share about his people. He said, you see, Chuck, your doors are shut to my people. Your doors are shut. But I think about that moment in time that God knew what was going to take place. That God got a hold of Chuck's heart to say open up to these people right. open the doors yeah. it cost him a lot in doing that yeah. it cost him some people some pharisees yeah. are you with me yeah. <laughs> That's right. but he opened it up to those that nobody else knew what to do with That's right. 
And because of that, from that little country church on the edge of town, <laughs> a movement had started once again. It was a continuation of what God had started all along. There's always a revival fire. There's always an ember. There's always a remnant that will be involved. And God used Chuck to then have over a 1,000 churches today throughout the world, a Calvary Chapel that ended up one of the satellites in Florida that happened to be the one that Angela and Ryan had gone to. It's powerful. It's powerful. In those moments, how God does that. And I think of what God's done, not only now, but the timing of the release of this movie with what's taking place in our nation today, especially among the college campuses. And I hate it that I still hear people saying, well, let's see what the fruit is going to be of this. Good grief. You know? It's kids. If it's 25 and under, that's great. Because we need a generation that steps up and says, this is my moment. You had your moment, but I'm taking mine. And you know what? If you don't want to sit in your seat at the table, I'll gladly take it. Come on now. And I began to think about that. We were in prayer on Wednesday night. And the Lord just put it in my heart. Been going on and on just currently. I said, I have to do something, a prophetic act. So I walked out, walked open to the door, opened up the doors, and I said, we open the doors to you. Whoever's unwelcome, unwanted, feels unworthy, we open the doors to you. We've got seats. The Lord spoke to me years ago down in the little building. He says, I want you to build us, make, spa- make, uh, make space for the people because I've got people for the space. And that doesn't end. It's, it's a, not a timeline thing. There are still the people that God wants to fill these chairs. And they may not look like us. They may not have the background that we have. They may not have the history. They may be who knows what. But God says open up to them. And if it hadn't have been for that, where would we be today? Where would, I don't know where I would be. But thank God that Chuck opened up to those who seemed to be unworthy and unwanted and unwelcome, those who didn't know what was going on, but they were seeking after something. They just didn't know that Jesus was who they were seeking after. Huh? They didn't, yes, amen. They didn't know it was Jesus, and there's still people out there today that don't know it's Jesus. Yes. Yes. So we open the doors today, Father. We open the doors to our hearts. We open the doors, God, for your spirit to move upon them. Lord, I know T.D. Jakes has said that there's a, there's a guy sleeping under the uh, overpass that one day is going to preach the gospel. I believe that, Lord. I believe that. God, save to the uttermost. Do a work in our midst. And may we never step in the way. May we never get in the way of what you're doing. May we be in the, in the midst of it, in the heart of it, God. In Jesus' name. The guest list. One of the titles I was going to give this today was No Soup for You. 
That's what he told the Pharisees. <laughs> no soup for you. Yeah. Bring them all in. Yeah. Bring in those people that can't pay it back. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's the most unlikely. Yes. Bring them in. Yes. Today, we're going to, if you didn't get a, a, a communion sacrament today, would you get that? They're, they're back on the table. But we're going to partake of communion today. And let this be a reminder. Let this be a reminder. And one day we've been given the opportunity to sit at the table to eat of his body symbolically and drink of his blood that he provided for us. Thank God we've been able to eat, we'll be able to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he's given us this privilege today to honor him and to remember him. Father, Today, just like Marlis had said, that it brings back that moment, those moments, when, that moment when we got saved. And it, it, it stirs up that coal again. Father, I pray that what we've heard today, I pray that it will fan the flame inside of us. Let our embers ignite again as a church to realize we have a mission. And Lord, I know that this text was talking about the last days, but I believe today that that cry is going out, it's now ready. Yes. It's right upon us. Yes. And we must do what we must do. Amen. And we thank you, God, today. You, God. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Yes, forgive us, God, for the things that we have done. Forgive us, God, as a generation of a church yes. who's not welcomed people, yes, Father, who's not loved people, but Father, may we be loving and caring just as you are. Lord, we're not going to compromise the word of God, but we still love. We want to help them. We want them to see the way, the truth, and the life that it's Jesus that they need. Jesus who they're seeking after. Lord, I pray that you'll equip us to be able to take care of them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for what you provided as your your body for our healing. Lord, as we partake of this today, we do in remembrance of you, remembrance of you, how your body was beaten, broken, bruised for our transgressions and our iniquities. And we thank you for that, Lord. And by your stripes, we are healed. Father, we thank you for healing today. Thank you for healing and comfort upon Tony, who's facing Tina who's facing, uh, Tony, who's facing surgery this week, and Samantha, Father, for what she's going through, and for Carol, Lord, the healing. Thank you, to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for healing. Healing hearts, healing broken hearts, healing lives. Thank you, Lord, for opening up arteries. Thank you, God, for healing nerves. Restoring health. Thank you for healing upon Pat Patterson. Yes, we thank you, Lord, for healing that she re- becomes restored. Yes. In Jesus' name. Yes. Lord, Your healing power across this place today within our families. We thank you, Jesus. Let's partake of this together. We thank you for this cup that represents your blood 
the blood that could wash away every sin and every stain. Every sin known unto man. Every sin, Father. We thank you for forgiveness through the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for washing me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for washing away all of our sins today. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you, Jesus, for making a place available at your table with you. And today we come and dine with you. We sit, we sup with you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the protective power of your blood. Thank you for the bloodline that flows over our families, over our bloodline. Bringing them into the kingdom of God. We plead that blood over their minds, souls, bodies, lives, wills, spirits, thoughts, emotions, and behavior, their actions, their conversations. We plead the blood of Jesus. Redeem and restore in Jesus' name. Let's partake of it together. Hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet and just give the Lord a praise offering this morning? Glory to your name, Jesus. We thank you. Hallelujah. Father, may we go out from this place today. May we be the light of Jesus into a darkened world. Renew within us, Father, the spark and the zeal, the desire when we first came to know you. May we share it with other people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. honeymoon is gone, well, it, it, it just get dry. You know, it's like a car. Uh, if you don't put gas in it, it won't go nowhere. Amen. It's the same way with spiritual things. That's true. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes. You, you got to have a, you got to form some sort of a relationship with Jesus to keep filled. Yes, that's right. Otherwise, it, you just dry up. Amen. Amen. That's right. Every day. And, and, and that's not good. I mean, Amen. That, I don't believe it'll keep you from going to heaven. But it, it's not good at all down here. That's right. So that's what I wanted to say. All right. Amen. Amen. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to use us and be like his servant who goes out and tells people that they're welcome, that he has a place for them. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I wrote a song a number of years ago, and it said, it just feels, the chorus was, it feels like the night I first got saved. Uh, I've had this happy feeling since my burdens roll away. I know it's not by feelings, because we're saved by faith, but it feels just like the night I got, first got saved. Amen. Amen. I want to keep that feeling. Keep that feeling. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.